Keep your hands and head inside the vehicle at all times. Buckle your seatbelts, check your mirrors, sit on back and relax. It's lights out and away we go for the Tall and Short of It podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Tall and Short of It podcast. Coming to you live with the triggered ability on the stack. I'm your host Justin. And I'm Aaron. Welcome back everyone. Uh, We've got a fun episode ahead of us today. We've got the Azerbaijan Grand Prix preview. Uh, We've got some uh, League of Legends roster swaps and just a conversation heading into the upcoming season. Um, And of course we've got some Magic the Gathering. Thank you all for finding your way back here because, Justin, remember, not all who wander are lost. I saw that that on a bumper sticker today, and it just made me kind of like, I don't know, on my drive home today, I was just thinking about bumper stickers, and I don't understand why people would put a ton on their car. I feel like there's very few people that have like one bumper sticker. It's either like all or nothing where their entire back windshield is impossible to see out of, um, or, or nothing at all. Any, any bumper sticker thoughts? (laughs) I remember my boss at my old, at one of my old gigs, we were behind a, I guess it was like a Subaru, like shag and wagon, you know, and the whole back was covered in bumper stickers, some of them political, some of them social, some of them funny, some of them cartoons. And his takeaway from that was he was he he was imagining this person must have a lot to talk about, must be interested in so many things. And he was referring to this person that he had no clue who they were with a lot of reverence and... I'm not sure I feel the same way about bumper stickers. I don't know. It seems like uh it seems like a good way to support something, but yeah. often I don't mind supporting. I hate a sticker. They don't come off. You got to use alcohol. They're like the feeling of something stuck to my fingers is just the worst thing in the world um so it, it's it's a sticker so I'm, I'm off it yeah i i have a similar kind of uh opinion i'm i'm not a big fan of them in general um i think like there's differences between getting like a nice uh like i have a, a little emblem for the marine corps on the back of my car it's a metal emblem that i got that has like sticks on everything for my uh, my cousin uh and in his memory and all and so that's like it looks nice it doesn't like stand out as this just like i don't know high school binder front cover page or something right. like that um right. and so i kind of i hadn't thought of it the way that like your your old boss did and i think that That's interesting that someone has like been to all these places, does all these things, whatever, but no one's going to like look at the back of your car typically and be like, oh my God, you were in Key West, like that mile zero bumper sticker, just really like, I love that. (laughs) Right, like getting flagged down on a highway, like. I love your bumper stickers. Yeah, like I don't I don't quite get it and I I was just very the the bumper sticker or one of the the number of bumper stickers on the back said not all who wander are lost with a nice little compass in it and I was just like 
All right. Sounds good. <laughs> that's that's likely their way of justifying having multiple um, major changes in college, the trip to Cancun, and then to Europe that they didn't have to pay for. Um, it's it's ideas like that that help them justify their behavior. Yeah, definitely has been an Instagram post uh, caption for them at some point. But with um, next to some blue ass water. <laughs> oh, all the blue ass water, man. For sure. So, <laughs> but uh, but I just was curious your thoughts. It was rolling around in my head. I thought it would be an interesting way to start off the episode. Um, but we can kind of get into the regularly scheduled program uh, with the Rose, Thorn, and Seed. Do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, before I do the Rose, Thorn, and Seed, I just want to give a quick shout out to um, existing listeners and any new listeners coming on board. Um, on the Discord, I've changed some things around, made it a little more friendlier, made it a little more easy to... Um, uh, to onboard, I guess you could say. Uh, so there's some changes to the Discord. Come join us there if you want to get involved. Um, and then also all of our socials are in the link tree that's in the description below. But other than that, let's get into the rose thorn and seed. Um, my rose for the week. So a lot of a lot of my stuff this week is going to center around magic. But me and Sarah have gotten in a couple of really solid sessions of games. Um, not playing with the like big commander decks that we had done a little bit one versus one hundred card singleton it ha it never produced the most exciting games or the games that we really wanted so we tried using the smaller 60 card decks with 15 card sideboards and that has produced a couple of really fun evenings and i think that's in part to kind of setting up expectations and then also i think some of the she's a very competitive person overall and i think she feels bad when the results like influence how we're feeling in any given moment um so i think she would rather avoid a competitive thing rather than have us like you know okay. tit, tit for tatting i guess you could say but um with you know some of the work she's been doing recently it has helped her just be in the moment have fun and enjoy it um so that's been really cool a couple of really fun magic sessions with sarah My is that thorn. Um, well is that uh 60 card format is it a 60 card commander format or is it a like um, just regular just standard, standard kitchen table magic so you have gotcha. like 24 <clears throat> lands 36 spells you're gonna have up to four of any of any one spell cool very yeah. nice um so that's been fun my thorn for the week i have developed a dark chocolate addiction in all of my like I've I've cut so many things out, and in my head, the one thing that I was like, "Oh, this seems like a reasonable reasonable place to get sugar from is dark chocolate." So obviously, we've got like cashews covered in chocolate. We've got this like granola thing that's got some some dark chocolate in it. Um, so I probably eat more dark chocolate than I should, but this is me saying it out loud and realizing it. Um, so that's been a little bit of a thorn, but it is so tasty of a thorn. So you know, one can't complain. And not the not the most unhealthy of uh, of chocolates. It's probably the healthiest of chocolates that you yeah, can it, have. 
It's not got like any fillings in it. It's not strawberries or nothing. Um, So I do feel pretty good about it overall. And then my seed for the week, I'm just going to shout these guys out because it was really fun. And I honestly feel like I learned a lot. Um, Anthony Fantano had on Andrew Callahan of Channel 5 News. Mm -hmm. They did like a conversation podcast together. Um, And overall, it was super interesting to learn about like, you know, just his ideas of where he comes from. But to make this concise, they he talked about being just like ultimately helped by an individual in the movie making community and he showed great gratitude for this individual and it wasn't it wasn't the gratitude and it wasn't the help, but it made me realize that like breaking into that world, it feels so close because like to a certain degree, he was just somebody who picked up a camera, had a little bit of a background in the thing and just kept on working and then got to that point. And listening to that conversation, hearing them talk, it really made me feel like, and I know I've said this before, but it really made me feel like we are in the right place at the right time, doing exactly the right thing and like moving in the right directions. Him saying that I was like, I feel like that could be us in, you know, X amount of time or whatever. Um, so I thought that was just illuminating, enlightening. I love the conversation. So that was really fun. But just that seed of an idea where it's like you... I could say so many things in this scenario, but just the perseverance of that individual, I think shows. And it was just, it was very cool. Yeah. I mean, opportunities don't come to people who aren't actively seeking them out. Typically, like if you're, if you're putting yourself out there and doing the work, like no one's gonna, no one's gonna be like, Hey, do you want to do a podcast on our, on a large platform or something to people who don't have a podcast typically unless they're already a big name of some sort and all so um yeah i mean i i love doing this i love uh just continuing to do this and so uh so yeah you never know what could happen and uh what could turn into something greater so exactly yeah very cool um well i will get into my rose thorn and seed for this week as well um so for my rose, I did follow up on my seed from last week. I did uh, like go after some of these fitness goals. I really looked at the gym every time I walked past it. It was great. Um, nice. It was, <laughs> I, uh, I got in uh, two workouts in the gym this past week along with a couple of days over the weekend of uh, one of a hike and then the other kind of some longer walking around of like a couple hours of walking each time, uh, just getting some steps in and, and getting active a little bit, um, and everything. So I, um, I, I accomplished really what I was looking to do now that I felt like I was kind of back, uh, closer to a hundred percent with things. Um, so that is, uh, I'm, I'm happy about it. And so that's definitely a, a good rose for me this week. Um, oh, yeah. for my seed, uh, I'll get into my, uh, this weekend, I'm going to an engagement party for, uh, a couple of my friends, uh, up in New York city. So I'm looking forward to visiting them. It's going to have a bunch of college friends I haven't seen in a while. So, 
uh, it'll be nice kind of just catching up with people, getting to, to celebrate their engagement and all. Um, and then my thorn for this week is just that it's been a pretty rough week. Um, mostly work related, but I had, um, Basically, for our entire property, we have uh, RFID key fobs that give people mm-hmm. access to their apartments. And for some reason, I don't know the rhyme or reason or anything, but uh, just about all 250 apartments, uh, their fobs uh, were expiring uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I are we had a bunch of people come in to the office like, Hey, my key fob's not working to get into my apartment. We're like, Oh, okay. Like, and after like the fifth one or so, I was like, this is not normal. So I pulled some reports from the system and it was just like a giant list saying everyone's key fobs are going to stop working uh, over the next three days. And I think they typically last for, um, you can typically ours would last for, uh, our, the system was set up to have them last for a year. Um, gotcha. I have pushed that out to make it longer because I mean, some people stay longer than a year. You shouldn't mm-hmm. have to necessarily redo your key file. And since you have to scan them with the system to rekey them and extend it, you can't just like type in a number in the system. Mm-hmm. We basically have had to have everyone from the property come in at some point or have, have them plan to come in uh, while we're around and everything. We've had to extend uh, hours in the office and everything to allow people who are um, getting home later than the office closes to be able to come in and do it. Um, Then on top of that, we had a situation with one of my, my staff today where we had to let them go uh, over some uh, not too exciting stuff to deal with uh, and everything. So that's why I was caught up late at work and everything. It was a uh, not very fun situation and everything. Um, and just on top of all of that yesterday, I just did not play very well at basketball. So it's just like, it's just, uh, it's a rough week. I'm working through it and all, but um, looking forward to the weekend, like I said. So I'm trying not to let it bog me down too bad. Hell yeah. And honestly, just remember that not all who wander are lost. Honestly, you can just rest your laurels on that. Did you come up with that? That's a, that's a nice thing. I'm pretty sure I read it on a bumper sticker actually. Nice. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's my rose thorn and seed for this week. Um, looking forward to, to getting into talking about, um, Azerbaijan and Baku, I believe I always have trouble pronouncing it properly, um, but I believe it's Baku. So just uh, a couple of notes. One that I think is uh, is big and kind of leads into a little more deeper conversation with the Red Bull uh, team and everything is that Max has had some bad shakes of luck over the past four races at, at, uh, at Baku. We've had him DNF in 2017 due to engine troubles. Uh, in 2018, 
he and um, Danny Ricardo collided mm-hmm. in 2019. He uh, finished P4, um, but with some craziness and everything going on. And then in 2021, he had the tire blowout going down the main straight at, I don't know, like 180 miles an hour or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he is one of many that uh, have had some some different issues there uh, at the circuit and everything. There's a lot of um, different things that I guess have made it uh, a very interesting race. And so, like, in my opinion, this, it is one of the more exciting racetracks because there always is some of this chaoticness that, that goes on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is a street circuit, so it's more difficult. Obviously you have the, um, castle section which everybody talks about which is you know that little like tight left turn and then the uphill uh, um In what the, is that like a little serpentine yeah serpentine like a little, a little s turn kind of thing where you go yeah sharp 90 degree left uphill through the castle section and then uh, a very sharp right immediately after mm-hmm. um so pretty slow corners through there um also turns one and two have had a ton of um craziness over the past few races i went back and watched highlights from uh those four races that i talked about with max which were the last four and so um turn one i think is where everyone expects there to be a lot of trouble because at the race starts we've had a lot of um collisions because it it's a sharp left turn a very short distance from the starting line so it doesn't leave a lot of room for the cars to get spaced out enough to really um be spaced out going through that like there's sure. typically especially at the beginning two to three cars that are uh going two to three cars wide around that corner um and so we've seen Lots of issues there. We saw Lewis with his, uh, he had pressed the magic button on his steering wheel that shifted his brake balance last year, um, Mm -hmm. which caused him to uh, not be able to stop going to the runoff section on the restart at the end of the race. Um, We've seen tons and tons of collisions between teammates, between anyone and everyone. We've had people get punctures and have to try and make it all the way around the rest of the lap to get back to the pit lane on lap one. Um, but I think turn two is the the turn that is more concerning to me, uh, just because you do really get going a bit quicker on the straight leading into it. And then due to that, you are um, just in a position where a lot of people try to dive up the inside late break and get that inside on the left-hander, um, which has caused uh a number of collisions with people um locking up their brakes and sliding into each other people going wide it's just been uh those those two um two turns right at the start have caused a lot of chaos over the past uh past few years at least well and then that has shaken up the um 
the podiums as well because of the all the safety cars cleanups and whatnot um mm-hmm. like last year i know we had uh it was checo taking the lead after max had the tire blot and then it was seb and pierre on the podium correct yeah uh so sorry for let me pull it up for last year yeah so it was uh sergio seb and pierre mm-hmm. um and then in uh yeah it's it's been some odd ones back in 2019 um it was uh valtteri lewis and then seb so seb's had some some good performances there uh 2018 was another odd one if i remember correctly it was uh so it was lewis kimmy raikkonen for ferrari and sergio perez in the force india Uh, oh wow okay yeah we've had and then i think who uh there was someone who was odd from uh 2017 too i thought oh yeah lance stroll in the williams uh got p3 it was ricardo botas uh stroll so wow that's a weird podium very very interesting podium um but just in general it, it really has made for some interesting races and exciting races um one driver who i'm curious to just keep an eye on uh is esteban Ocon because he had uh incidents in both 2017 and 2018 um of him colliding with his teammate colliding with other drivers um and and bringing out safety cars and whatnot so um he doesn't have a phenomenal track record in turn but he also doesn't have I, I believe those are his only two races racing there um gotcha. so not a ton of uh experience on the circuit either so i'm curious now um as he's like back in and everything uh over the past couple of years how he's going to kind of shake out um this weekend with the what was it double contact with lewis not this past weekend but the previous race at monaco was it double contact or just the single i guess it was maybe from like a qualifying not a qualifying maybe a practice session and then the race but i know he took the one contact with lewis so maybe it's a maybe you can extend the conversation out to maybe he just struggles on street tracks where there's walls around him, tighter turns, a lot more 90 degree turns tend to be on street circuits. Um, yeah. curious if he just struggles in general there. So yeah, that's a good point to uh, see how Ocon does in yeah. particular. It, it's something that I'm, I'm curious to see cause there's a lot of, um, I mean, a lot of good drivers on the grid, but there's just a lot of chaos that can happen. And so Ocon uh, is definitely one of those who's just, um, uh, I mean, along with Max, has had their their fair share of uh, issues at this circuit and everything. Mm-hmm. So hopefully uh, we get some, some good clean racing because the track does offer a lot of good opportunities for overtakes, um, including some of those turns that I was talking about, turn one and turn two, um, that provide those opportunities as long as things stay clean. Um, so that's kind of uh, just something that will be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, I did lead into this with just the conversation, of course, coming up again with uh, with Checo and Max uh, mm-hmm. regarding the, um, the team and kind of how uh, things are shaking out. I mean, we've had Christian Horner this past week, um, 
uh, come out and make a statement um, to the press, basically saying that they do not care who, which one of their drivers would win the driver's championship. Like they're Mm -hmm. concerned about team championship. They're concerned about one of their drivers winning the driver's championship. But uh, he came out and did the, uh, I mean, correct and diplomatic thing of just being like, Hey, I want to squash this. Like we're not trying to play favorites with anyone. Whoever's the lead driver is getting priority. Like the normal things that are going on uh, amongst teams and everything like driver who's in the lead is getting the first pit opportunity and like things like that. Um, And so I think that's just the best way to handle it and everything. Um, because both of them have driven very well. Um, Max has had a little bit of worse luck overall. So Checo is um, just has been able to keep up really well in the points and everything by being consistent and having some really good finishes when Max uh, has had rough times. So, um, so I guess we'll kind of see how, how that shakes out and uh, see if there ends up being any tension uh, between the two drivers. Hopefully they have set up a culture between the two drivers and the two like, you know, engineering squads that they really are in it for the team effort and look to maximize potential there. Because if you get towards the end of the season and you have two Red Bull drivers being too aggressive, like late in the game that's not where you want to be so i so i do think you have to set expectations early and just say hey this is going to be a team effort who's ever in the lead is you know going to get the you know whatever happens with a lead driver and then you know the saying a driver has priority doesn't mean that you know, driver two no longer gets radio messages. It's not like he no longer right. tires or anything like this. Um, so I think in modern Formula One, these teams can run their drivers to a closer margin than maybe they have been before. And do you think that's where this conversation comes from of like, taking priority and like who do we care about more like are you fixing a championship for this guy i just i truly just don't believe these competitive organizations think like this it i think that the reason that um people get this this uh connotation about teams is that um there are teams that have had dominant drivers who have Mm -hmm. taken cars better than their teammates that have uh, like uh, kind of forced it into just the natural seat one seat two kind of progression and everything. Mm -hmm. It's, it can be, um, it can be kind of more rare when uh, when teammates are extremely close in competition and everything. I mean, uh, Lewis, although Valtteri had some really great performances for Mercedes and everything, Lewis uh, consistently was was beating him, winning the mm-hmm. world championships and drivers championships and all. Um, Max, when he was with Pierre, and then when he was with Alex Albon, uh, of course, Red Bull made Max their priority guy because mm-hmm. they were 
able to tailor their car better to a driver that they knew was going to be there mm-hmm. for multiple years as opposed to the new guy that they're trying out to just on a one-year contract to just see how this guy does and all like, of course they're not planning the future of their organization and their, their cars and everything on this guy that like, ah, we'll give him a shot. Like Mm -hmm. that's not, that's not the, um, reasonable or, or competitive, or, or I guess like, most competitive way to do that like you have to you have to target maximum points and if one guy is getting them consistently yeah you're going to prioritize that person um so i think that just due to especially red bull and mercedes both being in kind of the lead and the spotlight and everything over the past few years that we're in a position where a lot of people who are viewing a lot of people who are um, looking at it kind of have this predisposition to go seat one seat two like Mm -hmm. oh the if uh this guy's doing better so anytime he gets gets the right calls because he's the the first driver on the Mm -hmm. team and the other guys just like can kick rocks and it's not it shouldn't be like that in my opinion so and it doesn't seem like that strategy is compatible with sure that makes sense in the example that you gave with max and pierre where like yeah obviously obviously that's not where the focus of the team is they're like running a different strategy that year but when you're talking about a team who has two drivers and two and a two drivers in contention and a vehicle in contention like i said i just don't think it matches up or is an interesting way to analyze the scenario. It's making it's making these team principals out to be almost like gym coaches in that scenario, like just like picking their favorite quarterback or whatever. Um, I don't I I just don't think it works like that. So I think what we will continue to see is like you were alluding to, Checo being an incredibly solid teammate and like you were saying, has been there most of the times that Max dropped the ball. Carlos was uh, not Carlos. Checo was right there to pick it back up. Um, So I think moving forward, we're just going to see way more teamwork and synergy develop more than we're going to see a wedge between the two drivers develop. Like, and also I just don't think they're the personality for that either. Like they don't see, they just want to, they just want to win and winning is not like, you know, playing favorites. Yeah. And I mean, I think like we've seen it, like Checo has done things to help Max, uh, like immensely. Um, and then like Max hasn't been in that position too frequently to, to do the same, but he's always been very happy for Checo congratulatory, like excited for him and all. And I think we saw from the Red Bull perspective. Yeah. In Spain, when Max was coming from behind with a, on a much faster lap, pace and everything they were like okay Checo like move out of the way um Checo not getting that opportunity to go through with Max like we had talked about I think was Mm -hmm. probably a possibility of them both losing time by slowing each other down and everything uh squabbling over that position as opposed to to just driving and and waiting for Max and uh, and George to pit and everything like right. what ended up happening. Because then we see in Monaco, Checo obviously, like he was the lead car the entire weekend. Like 
yeah, Red Bull had him on the primary strategy and everything. They had him coming in. They double stacked Max on the pit stop. So Max ended up getting a slower pit stop and more like time at standstill because of the, the double stack and everything. And so like they, they clearly, in my opinion, are not playing favorites. It's just that Max has been the lead driver the majority of the time. And like, but they'll, They'll take it one race at a time. Checo's had some awesome performance on on the opposite of Max's struggles at, at uh, Baku. Checo's been on the podium. Like I think I mentioned him twice in the past four races uh, mm-hmm. where he's had some great performances. He he took yeah he took uh, P one last year and then uh, I think three years ago uh, he was uh, third on the the podium. So it's like. He's got great performances. He drives well on street circuits. He could very easily um, have a, a phenomenal weekend here as well. So, yeah, I think so. And he just continues to level up. You know, every every time we watch him. And yeah, I just don't think the uh, squabbling teammates is going to be the thing that you know the thing that happens here. Um, I know another one of the questions that you had going into into this weekend is when does Lewis get back into uh, winning form, and does the consistency from Russell um, paint maybe a. Uh, uh, a different picture than what's you know might be going on in the team yeah i mean it's i george has performed phenomenally i think he's a generate like he is he is another one of those guys that i i would look at and say they're a generational talent i guess when there's like four guys that you would consider between max lewis charles um and george uh I don't know if you consider that generational, but like just a very, very phenomenally talented drivers out there along with everyone else is very good. Um, but they kind of stand above. Um, and so like, I know Lewis has had his struggles and all, but he did kind of, uh, put out there that he's looking to be competing for wins by the time that, uh, Mercedes gets to Silverstone. Um, he is one, eight out of his 15 races at Silverstone in F1, which is just a ridiculous, he's, he's won more than 50% of the time that he's raced there in his career, which is just an unreal stat. Um, I don't know any other stat <laughs> like that would compare like that, um, especially over, over 15 races there. Um, and so I think that, um, Mercedes has made some good progress. George was able to adapt well to the to the difficult to drive car early on, but I think we'll see Lewis um, kind of continue to come back to form and and really he did uh, does really want to be able to to be competitive. Hopefully, by that race in Silverstone, which uh, I guess would be I've got to see when that is coming up, but I think it's just a. a few weeks down the road so in um the first weekend of july will be at silverstone so that's uh not so that's uh two races uh and two, uh so baku the canadian grand prix and then so then uh silverstone so 
And that's going to be an interesting one because not only is that um, home turf for Lewis, but that'll be home turf for George as well, um, mm-hmm. both from uh, Great Britain. So that'll be interesting. And yeah, I imagine the pressure's on for Lewis to want to be able to perform at a pretty, uh, pretty winning track there for him. A 50% win rate is really solid. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty unbelievable and it's it makes sense that he would want to be able to compete at his home race it's always Mm -hmm. uh, a very big and exciting race for him um when he uh, won last year uh, at silverstone it was he was very animated very excited and everything about that um and everything like it's a it's an exciting thing and so uh it would be very cool to see both Mercedes cars since they are both uh, British drivers um, mm-hmm. competing up there to have a shot. The the crowd, would, I am sure, will be electric uh, supporting them and everything. It will be um, a really exciting race, uh, hopefully. So that's kind of the, the timeline it looks like that Lewis is trying to put out there um, in terms of uh, just getting Mercedes kind of back on track and, and – at a point where they can compete for some uh, some race wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried that they would be, you know, if it doesn't happen soon, um, you know, like the like by the time we get to Silverstone, I'm worried that they would be out of it for really any hope of competing for either. And they we may already be in that territory. It's tough to tell. Um, but if some of the other constructors just keep on ramping up, then um then yeah maybe tough but another leading it well it wouldn't be talking about azerbaijan because he's not from there but i was just gonna say another uh another driver that would be wanting to perform well at the silverstone race you know moving on to talking about mclaren would be lando norris yeah absolutely it's a home race for him as well um mclaren has had their share of struggles and everything this season but um i mean lando has been able to have some some pretty good performances uh throughout the season he's been able to pick up um and kind of get the most performance he could out of the car he was able to get um points in uh five out of the seven races so far uh and five out of six where there's one dnf um so uh, i mean sixth uh p6 in monaco i think um the opportunity is there for mclaren to have a good race as well just with um with baku being so i I was reading a little bit uh, about it because there are kind of two general strategies that you can go with in terms of the racetrack you can go with a higher downforce so that you're better able to maneuver and take turns and everything and uh Mm -hmm. even though there is the very long two kilometer uh back straight that comes down um that is a little bit um that's something that you'll see probably uh ferrari red bull mercedes because they have um the better engines typically or uh, better suited cars for those long straights going with more downforce, which will give them less straight line speed. Um, so bigger downforce from a larger rear wing. Um, 
whereas some of the midfield teams and uh, kind of back of the pack teams can go with the lower downforce for the higher straight line speed, look to be able to get more overtaking done on those long stretches, uh, but okay. we'll have to be a little bit more tentative um, on the turns and through the uh, the more difficult sections of the, the track. So I think with McLaren in the position that they're in, um, getting a good qualifying performance, if you go with the higher downforce and everything, is uh, a very good or with the sorry lower down force is very, very good option because you'll have um just the the one lap time i think you'll have a good shot at putting in a good time and with the street circuit if you put yourself in good position at the start you are setting yourself up for success typically um in terms of just difficulty passing and everything uh even though this is Definitely uh, less difficult with that than, say, Monaco. But Right. Where someone like uh, Fernando Alonso would be perfectly happy to uh, make his elbows pretty wide. Yep. Just drive a super wide um, Alpine and yeah. just drag it through, slow everyone down. Now, that's part of the regulations, correct, is how wide the car can be. Yeah, well, that's always a wide car where we don't actually mean them like bringing No, a, no, no. Just like a, a making it difficult for people to get around you kind right. of par- parking your car in the right positions so that uh, if uh, another driver is trying to pass you, they have to go the long way around the outside or kind of get squeezed out one way or another. Um, just putting yourself in a position, a very defensible position. Uh, and mm-hmm. since Fernando is one of those veteran drivers with a lot of experience, uh, he is able to do that very well because he's just knows, um, a lot of the ins and outs and, and tricks of the trade with that veteran status um, to be able to to defend very very well. So, oh yeah, big time. Uh, you know, we saw it last time out. Um, now we were talking about some of the some of the success of these British drivers. That doesn't really talk about the race that we're going to though. Baku. Um, I want to talk a little bit, kind of staying with the McLaren team. I want to talk a bit about Daniel Ricardo. I was looking over, I found, I found a pretty good graphic of his career overall. And I'm, I have a sense that there is a bit of a, a bit of a nostalgia maybe for Daniel Ricardo as a driver because looking with an objective eye, I haven't, you know, been watching him that long. When you look in a just a concise little uh, picture of the career, it is not as impressive as you may have been led to believe. So there are some solid, solid years, but overall finishing like rather mediocre. Yeah, and well, it's it's tough because Daniel Ricardo was a very, very good driver for Red Bull. Um, And so it kind of becomes a like, was this a mistake for him to leave Red Bull? I think is more the, the conversation necessarily because he 
sort of left Red Bull. I, I feel like it seemed, at least it seems, I don't know for sure, but he and Max were becoming very competitive with one another um, to the point that they had multiple incidents of crashing into each other and just mm-hmm. like um, not good driving for the the team and the constructors right. uh the constructors championship and so um it was of course i think a combination of max trying to prove himself um daniel not wanting to give up that lead position that he had that he had really earned over the the past few years before max joined the team and all um mm. and so instead of uh, continuing to have these clashes and everything with his teammate, he chose to leave. He chose to to go and go after another opportunity. There was a lot up in the air in terms of Red Bull and what their game plan was because they were planning to stop using the Renault engine. Um, Danny said, I've been driving well with the Renault engine in the Red Bull, so I'm going to go and drive for Renault. And they just weren't able to put a competitive car together for him to be at the top of the the grid. Um, Renault struggled a bit. They, in his second year there, they were um, more competitive. But by that point, because of the pandemic and everything, uh, he had already signed to go move to McLaren before that season even, that second season even started. So he... I think it kind of leads back to um, the decision to leave Red Bull where he was competitive and where that team continued to be competitive to go for these other teams that had potential, but maybe on, on both ends, he and the team didn't meet their potential. And I think the nostalgic effect is a bit just due to one success at Red Bull and them being a a top team still. Um, He is one of the more winning drivers on the grid. He's had, I believe it's eight race wins now, which is uh, more than uh, I'd say probably 15 guys on the grid, maybe maybe 14, 13 um, other drivers. And so he's, he has had great performances like you alluded to, but he's also just a very likable person. And so I think people have a, a soft spot uh, for him a bit as well, which I, I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. And it's hard to, it's hard to parse through, especially from somebody like, I think it's a little bit disingenuous to come from like a, like a new fan perspective. Obviously we've been doing this for a little bit, but it is a little bit like, I don't know how to parse that information when I haven't seen these performances. So I'm, I'm trusting the data that, you know, I'm just being given by the team principals and the other drivers and And Buxton the data's right. I mean, he definitely has not performed as well as he did early in his career. Right. Um, but I, I do think that it's a combination of maybe him um, having a, a slight decline in terms of his driving and everything, but not not significant, but also just going to teams where he was not able to be as competitive as he was. Right. Well, and then the other part of that conversation as well 
is it's an example where it really makes you realize how important the constructor is and how important the vehicle that you have under you is. Um, Cause that whatever, over the course of the season, he may have only been in the races that he wasn't first or second or whatever. He may have only been 10 seconds behind the leader when he finished, but like, that that is the margin um so yeah big unfortunate but i just i just wanted to bring that up because i had intimations of both sides and then when i looked at the career and like all of his results it's like oh uh, okay okay but you're right the rebel years stand out big time and -hmm. then there's like flashes in the pan after that which is you know rather unfortunate um Well, and I think that also just like brings up additional conversation with, uh, which has of course been all over the headlines uh, recently as well. Uh, Of course, with McLaren giving Colton Herta the opportunity to uh, test in F1 and everything, Mm -hmm. or at least they're planning to alongside with the fact that um, Alexander Rossi in IndyCar was signed by the uh, Aero McLaren team. So that, um, has kind of leaned more towards the thought that Colton Herta might get the opportunity in F1 when uh, Daniel's contract runs out. So right. there's all these questions of what will happen to to Daniel Ricciardo because he has had uh, worse performances and struggles over the past uh, couple of years and everything. Um, and it's tough to look at and kind of say, yeah, this guy is like, I I don't necessarily see him leaving F1. Um, but I, I do think that there are teams that would take a up and coming less experienced, but exciting potential kind of guy over him at this point. Um, right. Yeah, because so. his, his finishes have only gotten worse. Like it's not like they're getting better. But if you take a you know if you take a young guy who's quick that you can teach the sport, um, that you have more potential. Um, yeah, you know. But Ricardo's a, he's a huge brand uh, as well, just individually, and uh, and will make any team he goes to more likable, pretty much. Sure. Just and a touch more marketable as well. So I think that uh, I don't think that we are going to see him out of uh out of f1 but i just think that it the question of whether he he does continue with mclaren after next year and everything is is in the question it really depends a lot on performances over the the rest of the course of this season and probably up till the mid-season break next year so well, that is if he, you know, still has a seat. I'm inclined to say you may be surprised. Like, I think this may be, um, I think this may be his last season, whether we believe it or not. With McLaren or just in general or? Hmm. I, I just. I'm, I'm going to say in general. I think if he stops is because he doesn't want to continue after the season. I don't, I think there's a place for him still. Um, I just think that I personally, I think that McLaren, um, I I don't know if they'd be willing to take that huge hit to their budget cap 
by maintaining his salary along with bringing on another driver uh to right. be there like that that's a like his contract goes through 2023 if they decide he's not racing and he's still under contract like they still have to pay him like that and still a substantial amount of money per year um, right like all gotcha yeah so it's like it would just be dead money on their budget which hurts a lot what the question would be will the improvements in performance and everything warrant um, gaining more money to kind of make up for that that difference, right? Um, and yeah, I just, guess I didn't realize his contract was till twenty three. Yeah, and so it's it's till the end of next year, and currently he's on a seventeen million dollar per year salary. So, uh, or I, I think this year it's a it's about fifteen million dollars. Mm. So that's a pretty significant uh, hit to the salary or to the budget cap and everything. Um, especially when teams are talking about trying to stay within the new budget cap regulations. That's right. I mean, that's uh, that's 15 McSchumacher crashes that they've had that they have to <laughs> take out where it's a million dollar car replacement and everything. So yeah, when you put it that way, geez, oh man. Like that's a that's a lot. That's crash right. that's a the car getting crashed out in like seventy five percent of the races during the year to the point that it like cannot be repaired. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Uh so that's that's the my only hesitation with looking at it that way. Um, but looking at um at Ricardo just in general this season, uh he's had one points finish. He's been uh his second highest uh finish was p12 he really he hasn't hasn't stood out um the the same way that i was just mentioning with lando who has been in the points five out of seven races so Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the you know the quintessential teammate comparison where it's like man he is obviously getting a lot more out of the car um and i heard damon hill raise an interesting point maybe there's something about the generation that was raised on uh video games and simulators and stuff is there something to that where they have an edge over these drivers Mm -hmm. is there something about the car development that they can um kind of hone into in a way that's different from the way an experienced driver drives i thought it was a fascinating point to raise being that we have so many young guns that seem like they're like um you know seeing the ones and zeros rather than like existing in the matrix you know what i mean yeah and i mean it it could be because this is kind of the uh you have that generational break in this um in this grid i mean ricardo's 32 years old he's just a little bit older than the two of us we were kind of like where we are at uh in terms of that generational and technological shift like my age group is probably one of the last age groups where your baby pictures were on film that you had to take a film camera take pictures take it down to the the photo development shop in the strip mall and you get your pictures back a week later and you have no idea what they look like like the technological advancements that we've had over the past i mean like back when 
I would, I remember being at the roller rink and the only racing simulator you have was one of those junky sit in like mm-hmm. freaking arcade games that you were like, that just always seemed impossible to drive. Yes. Um, <laughs> compared to, yeah, like some really good F1 games, some phenomenal sim, sim setups and everything, all of the teams having like, kids these days are growing up and they are naturally inclined to know how to use technology because it's all around them. Whereas some of the older generations, uh, including an F1 where there's guys like, uh, Seb Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, um, Danny Ricardo on the older half of the grid, um, Mm -hmm. who didn't grow up with that same, those same resources readily available. Yeah, and you just have to wonder what that does to your hardwiring. Um, if there's, if there would be something to the phrase in that scenario, like legitimately built different, um, where you are gaining an advantage just based on the variance and how you grew up. It's a, it's an interesting question. I'm sure the the data, the actual data, would be quite hard to get. But uh, it was just yeah. an interesting point. Um, no, how definitely. many young guys were seeing perform well. Um, But yeah, continuing on Azerbaijan, we haven't talked about the Ferraris yet. Um, Hopefully in Monaco, we've seen a little bit of confidence building from Carlos Sainz. I know he has just not been happy with some of the results. Obviously, I can't imagine Ferrari is too happy with some of these results. But um, a tough finish for Leclerc in Monaco after having so many issues there, having Mm -hmm. the pole and then uh, not being able to to deliver i'm curious what the morale on ferrari is like i'm curious how they've uh, bounced back and are looking forward to the weekend yeah well and that that brings up an interesting point from uh, a um so there's a twitter account that i follow that talks specifically about ferrari um and this past uh week mattia bonato was interviewed and in some of his uh, quotes, uh, little snippets, all taken out, taken out of context. I have not read all of the, uh, all of this interview and everything. So don't burn me at the stake if, uh, <laughs> things don't sound right. But, uh, one, one of the, uh, comments was that, uh, Ferrari's objective was to be back competitive in 2022, which they have clearly succeeded at. Um, but then he goes on to say, um, he says, so our objective is to be competitive, not to win the championship. And then continues on after that saying, uh, being competitive is one fact becoming world champion is another level of task. And so I found that pretty odd personally, um, as someone who I, I feel like, I feel like I, you and I, and a lot of people are of the opinion that Ferrari is right there right now with Red Bull. They've had some, uh, some different breaks, um, and some, some different luck and everything and some, some worse strategy, to be honest, in multiple races now that has allowed them to fall behind in the points and everything. Um, and some, some bad luck with some DNFs and everything. Like we are early in the season. We're through seven mm-hmm. races. We have mm-hmm. 15, 16 to go. I forget if there's, uh, if they replaced Russia 
with a, a different track yet, but um, I think they did. I think it's Australia. Australia was probably, I think, was already on. But either way, I think 15 or 16 races left, and they're only down 36 points in the constructor standings. They're by no means out of it. And, and I think that that was a kind of weird group of statements for, for Mattia to make because I think they are in a position to compete for the world championship, like downplaying everything as if you're like expecting your team to not succeed at the end of the year is just weird for the team who's second in the points by a pretty close margin in, in the grand scheme of things. Maybe he's looking at some of the strategy mistakes from a pessimistic point of view where he's curious if they are messing with some or messing up some fundamental things. I mean, I'm thinking of the the pit miscommunication with Charles like that was a very costly mistake. And those are mistakes that will compound pretty significantly uh towards the end of the season so he may just be be shedding a critical eye on his own organization and saying like look if we continue to have these type of weekends we're our trajectory is not going to be the same as Red Bulls, right? Like they're eventually the twos and the threes and the fours and the fives will not add up to as much as, you know, a one and a two and a one and a three. Um, So from a, uh, from an expectation standpoint, it seems reasonable. It seems reasonable to acknowledge the trouble that they're having and maybe downplaying the scenario a little and saying like, ah, relax, relax. We're not there yet. Um, however, there is something to be said for like fake it till you make it. Uh, do teams start to smell blood in the water with a sentiment like that? I, I don't even know what that means. But. No, and and the other side is I I don't know if this interview was translated from Italian to English. Mm-hmm. There's potential for some like translation, not errors in translation, right. but for things to not come across the same way after they're sure. translated. But um, the best we can do is just take it at face value and say like it like what would be the motive of a team principal to to speak like this well and it could be a number of things they could be looking at how much money they've put into development so far and seeing that they've put in x amount and are continually like throughout the season falling slowly and like slowly further and further behind red bull um but also I mean, well, hold on there. I don't think it's a development issue at all. Their car well, seems really strong. No, like they're, they're I mean, making driver and like strategy mistakes. I mean, in the fact that they may have spent a larger portion of their budget on their development to get their car to where it is now than maybe they think the other teams have. So they're expecting themselves to slow down in their continuing development because they don't have the budget cap where other teams may have more space to uh, continue to improve the cars. So not that I I didn't mean it in that way that their car has struggled in development thus far more so that 
there is a Other limit teams may catch up and there is a limit to how much they can continue to do throughout the season. Right. Um, but in my opinion, I, I think that my perspective from, from if I were in his shoes, making those statements and all, I would have said them similarly, but different. Um, like I think that it's great to say our objective uh, for 22, uh, 2022 was to be back competitive and we've met that thus far. Like mm-hmm. our, our original goal was not to win the championship. It was to be fighting for wins. Like that right. is, is perfectly reasonable to say. Um, but I think that uh, it, it just has this negative connotation of um, like – when you're saying being competitive is one thing and becoming a world champion is just another level of thing. And I mean, that is a a true statement, but I I think saying it somewhat more like we've met our goal of becoming competitive. So now we're reaching for our, like our shoot for the stars. I like however you want to say it, that we're there. They're reaching for their their higher goal of competing for that world cha- for the world championship instead of making it seem like, oh, we we did we're doing what we're looking to do and that's just mm-hmm. that might just be too far instead of like kind of tempering things that way being like yeah we're on track with our our main goals for the season now we're targeting our next thing out there and we might not do it but we're like going for it. I think that's a lot more optimistic or like just um, stronger of a way to say it, like for the team in a, a like positive and kind of um, energizing way for the team to be like, let's get after it. Let's go get it kind of thing. Yeah, definite. um, That's definitely the positive spin. Um, Let me throw this at you though. Maybe he's going for my favorite, the long con, so it looks super slick when they just stroll into like a driver's championship or a world championship. He gets a luxury of in that follow-up interview being able to say like, yeah, we weren't even really trying, but I guess the other teams really aren't that good. <laughs> like that would be insane. It it would it's just uh <laughs> it would be insane. I think it would be a so it would surprise me because I think that uh, going into the eighth race of the season where you're very close in competition, I don't know if that's a position to be going for the long con. I think the long con is more of uh, what some of those Mercedes fans I was talking about in the uh, one of the previous episodes who are like, yeah, maybe Lewis and George are just sandbagging it and intentionally yeah. doing bad so that it's going to be even cooler when they come back and win. It's like all for the storyline. <laughs> like, no, no one does that, my guy. <laughs> Sorry, like that. That would be a more, uh, more of that long con kind of um, effect for me than being like, oh, we're in second place, and if we win, oh, we got them with this. <laughs> right. So, but you never know. You never know. They may be uh, comedy geniuses as yeah. well as uh, a team principal. Very possible. Um, but uh, before we, we start moving on, were there any other notes you had for uh, F1 this week leading into the Azerbaijan Grand Prix? 
Um, some like less important things. The <laughs> only thing we kind of commented on a little bit, I just want to say, um, keeping an eye out for Seb Vettel this weekend as mm. well. I think the Aston Martin is, you know, it's, it's mid right now. And based on some of his success here in the past, uh, we may see something funky come out of Seb. Yeah, I mean, he's had good success here. He knows how to race it. Like I said, uh, talking about Alonso, he's another veteran driver who knows how to put his car in the right spots and all. And on a track like this, that can be a huge, huge difference maker. Um, so I think he is definitely someone to keep an eye out for to have a, a sneaky good weekend. Yeah, big time. But uh, that was the only other that was the other note that I had. If you want to talk about some uh, some roster swaps and some of the upcoming uh, matches that we have coming for League of Legends. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one thing that, of course, we have coming up, uh, the LPL uh, summer season does start uh, coming up. I believe you said it was this weekend, um, starting June 10th. So starting on Friday, Mm -hmm. um, we'll have our first games for, uh, the LPL and everything. Um, so we'll get to see, uh, EDG, FPX, IG, Weibo gaming, um, uh, and a few of the other, uh, top of the table teams uh playing in the first uh first couple games this week um so getting into lpl in general uh one one big note leading into the season uh or into the split in the summer is uh rng who just won msi decided you know what being the best isn't good enough and so they uh they have brought breath or breathe on as their top laner now um in as uh, opposed to bin who i think we both thought had some really good performances so i think that's a an interesting uh perform good performances at msi so i think that's an interesting um roster swap to make and i think that they are um kind of really getting after it like that could be a I mean, they could look really amazing if it if it works and they they rise to the top, but they could also that could just end up very poorly uh, if he's not able to perform as well. Um, and so uh, he uh, breathe is coming from previously uh, playing Billy Billy gaming. Yep, which is where Bin has now gone to. Yeah, they effectively traded um, interesting trajectory for Breathe. Uh, he was on OMG uh, for the early stages of his career, then played for World Elite, Billy Billy Gaming, and now RNG. Um, so he's a player that has been on um, like top pedigree teams. So to be fair, I don't know a whole lot about him just by... Um, 
just by like name recognition. However, based on the pedigree of teams that he's played for and where he's going now, I'm kind of expecting big things, especially it being been that they're effectively trading. I don't know if there was like any money added on either side for value or whatever. Um, but I think Ben had a really, really good MSI tournament. Uh, he was competitive with most of the other top laners there and if not getting the better of them in most of the matchups. So yeah, very curious that they were, um, very curious that they were keen on getting rid of Ben because I, I think a lot of people would say he was part of the RNG magic. However, um, yeah, Zhao Hu and Wei were just as integral. So yeah, we'll see what they can do. Yeah, and I mean, we um, with him going to Billy Billy, they are still a playoff contending team in the LPL. Yeah. They were uh, eighth, but they were only two uh, two wins off of being tied for third in that like that tight, um, tightly contended third through sixth slot. Um, they were just outside of that and everything, um, and so maybe Bin will be uh, kind of the piece of the puzzle that they need um to to move up the table a little bit um bin is going from playing with uh with way on royal never give up to now playing with way way on billy billy gaming as his mid laner um or sorry as jungler my uh so left way the jungler with rng to go for way way uh over on billy billy gaming but um but yeah i thought that was making fun of their name as analysis no not making fun just it's funny just the fact that he went from a team with the jungler having a name and then he goes to a team with the jungler having Mm -hmm. just double the that name (laughs) well there was a period i don't know if you remember i think it was um i think it was Wei Zhao, Zhao Wei Zhao, and Zhao Hu, they were all playing at the same time in different regions. And I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Zhao Wei Zhao and Wei Zhao were both like uh Chinese national players. Wei Zhao, the famous AD carry player. I forget who he played for. Was he a Najin player? I don't think so. Either way, all sorts of um I, yeah, I'll say it. Funny name scenarios like that, where like they they often sound very um, similar to each other. Yeah, uh, Wei Zhao played for WE. WE, gotcha. The World Elite Eight Star yeah. Eighty Carry. That's right. So, um, but yeah, funny no, is not the right just... word. I should I meant I should say confusing for casters. That's the that's the right thing. It's not funny yeah. at all. They're just names. Confusing for casters. Yeah. Well, and I I just in. Like kind of ironic, I think also that they have such similar names for the the players that from one team to the next and everything. So maybe he chose based on jungler name recognition. He was like, ah, that'll be easy. I yeah. won't have to change anything. I can keep saying the same thing. Wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 come, wait, wait, come here, wait, wait, get over here, wait, come. Yep, gank my lane. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that was one of the uh, the big changes, which was just surprising from uh, RNG on my side because they they did just win MSI. It's very, uh, or I think it's less common f- to see that mid season. Like 
I understand it when you get to the end of the season and the team who wins Worlds, all of a sudden, any of their players that are going to become free agents and everything have all of these opportunities opening up with different, more money and bigger contracts and, uh, contracts and exciting opportunities and everything. Um, but that's at the end of the season when there's this entire off season to adjust. Like RNG just finished at MSI, what, two weeks ago? And now they are going to, between then and the first match of their summer split is not very much time to to kind of get themselves practiced and ready to roll. Um, they fortunately don't play until week two of the uh, LPL summer split. But gotcha. what is that, four weeks? A, a month of practice together with your new top laner. If that happened immediately after MSI and everything, right. um, that's not a lot of time and preparation to um, have your team. I, I mean, Hey, maybe they knew this was going to be a move after MSI and maybe uh, breathe had been with the team there in, uh, in Beijing while they were uh, playing from home for MSI and everything i don't know but um but i it's just a it's an intriguing move because there's a lot less time to get yourself coordinated as a team which is so so important especially in the lpl where being able to position properly and team fight well and everything um and play that team game to snowball and and get those uh those quick wins that's super super important yeah definitely i'm curious if they're they may not think the top lane meta changes very much if they're gonna go for a um a role swap like that or a or a roster swap like that um they may be they may be banking on you know him being able to play or them being able to play the same type of style and just have him kind of plug and play uh, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see moving into it. The fact that they get a buy to the second week, um, maybe they'll supplement that with more scrim time or whatever. We'll see if it's like actually a blessing or a curse where maybe um, they'll have wanted some more game time or whatever. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But yeah, it's just definitely an interesting uh, roster swap. Yeah, and I know there are a couple other uh, roster changes that you wanted to mention, so I don't know if you want to start with anything in particular. Uh, for LPL? No, not really. The only... Just for other any region. Gotcha, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about for the LCK, I wanted to talk about Nuggery going to um, Damwon. I think that's pretty cool. Another, I would say, like high-profile move. Obviously, Nuggery touted as one of the better top laners um, when he was playing and when he was at Worlds last year. I know he was um, the talk of the town, as it were. And uh, yeah, just a, just a great player, a pedigree player. And it's going to be, I think, a boon for Damwon as an organization to get, to get Nuggery in the top lane. Yeah, and so seeing him come back uh, after his time um, playing with FPX and mm -hmm. then uh, and everything, 
Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how um, how they perform with him back uh, and everything. I think he is definitely a, an extremely talented player. Um, I do think that the meta has shifted a little bit, um, but he still has a lot of those champions that were uh, being seen at MSI: the Jace, the Camille, the Kennen, some of those. Um, so seeing him back playing, I think it'll be fun and exciting for, uh, kind of shaking up the LCK a little bit. Um, so especially after, um, Dom Juan was like still very competitive this past year. Um, just everyone was kind of a tier below T1 and Gen G. So, um, so I think maybe that will be that, uh, jump that they might be able to to kind of move them up a little bit to be more competitive for that top slot yeah big time and obviously just experience means so much in those um in the top teams uh so yeah i think that's going to be a great move for them another one that i wanted to talk about from a from lck i thought that was was, was kind of fascinating we see dandy going to move into the coach position for hama life esports i thought mm. that was uh pretty pretty sweet here i did not oh, realize that that is oh uh, man that was a couple of months ago that they did that though oh. It's all right. Still leading into uh, into the summer split and everything. So, sure. um, so yeah, definitely uh, a good uh, addition. Dandy is obviously a, someone who's performed at the at the highest level a number of or at a lot of points of his career and everything. Um, so it'll be good to see him uh, there for their team. And they've performed – Hanwha Life was, um, I think, a team that was um, – I mean, they, like, needed to do something. Like, they, they're bottom of the table in LCK. Like, I don't think they have much to, to lose from bringing someone on at this point. And having Dandy, I think that gives them uh, a good – shot at improving uh and hopefully a, a decent bit because they had yeah, i mean they were at worlds uh but they have a very different team now very very different but i do think and i guess this is a reason for bringing it up i do think there is something important about fitting your support staff and your coaching staff with players that have like been in those high pressure scenarios have like have been around the scene for a long time um and the experience goes a long way especially in a game in an industry that doesn't have the long standing veteran status like some like some other sports have like for example um to put it back to f1 murray walker the commentator for formula one i believe he said he did that for 40 years i'm pretty sure he was in formula one for 40 years so it's like that is a level of know-how and experience that i just don't think we have in esports yet um so it's good to get players and talents like dandy onto your support staff yeah, absolutely. So I think that'll be um, a nice addition to their team um, mm-hmm. or to their 
coaching roles and everything. Um, like I yeah. said, that roster swap was a little while ago. The other interesting one, this is from North America. I was parsing through EU and there was so much going on. There's a lot of movement there. I don't think we're going to see, I don't know what any of it means until um, I see a couple of games. Obviously EU players are the ones I think I'm least familiar with. Um, so a lot of name recognition, but uh, not much else was coming coming up there but the other move that's going to be interesting i think is um maple to tsm a team that struggled big time um and this feels like a little bit of let's get some veteran status here um we'll see how it goes i i just don't think that org is treading water even right now um so hopefully hopefully it helps them get some some solid footing going into going into the summer split but yeah i just i just not gonna bode well i i just can't imagine that um that one shift and everything with the roster is going to make that significant of a difference unfortunately i mean yeah neither do i i i agree with you it's just a uh it is a big shot uh to go after someone who who is a very very good player and all and to add him into that mid lane position where um you did have someone who was uh, pretty young and um, untested with Kyoto. Um, so having Huni, Spika, uh, and Maple in there, along with uh, Tactical as some like solid players, and then we'll see what happens with their support role. Um, I do think it definitely improves the team as a whole. Um, just whether or not it moves them from ninth place up into uh, like the top six for a playoff spot um, is kind of questionable because that bottom uh, that bottom four was all very competitive. We didn't. It's not like TSM was two and sixteen or something. They're right. five and thirteen. Immortals was five and thirteen. CLG was six and twelve. Dignitas was eight and ten. Like, and even into that bottom three of the top six like they were tsm was only four games out at the Mm -hmm. end of the regular season uh from being in the playoffs which is i mean over an 18 game season is is not uh, a huge margin so sure and from that perspective yeah it's not like that dire of a scenario but just coming from it's very similar to the like looking at mercedes problem where like here's this team that just won one 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 and then like whoa they're barely competing with the bottom of the table teams um it's pretty confusing but now that you name off that roster it does sound like there's a little more uh staying power there a little more like um just hands in general um i know maple has kind of been on the stage with some of the best mid laners that the game has seen so maybe that maybe that'll count for something but yeah overall i don't think it like bumps them up you know two full positions in the in the standings or whatever yeah i don't i don't know if it does quite that much um but you 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 never know and i think that they have a lot of potential there but at the same time like another big part of that is which which huni do you get like sure huni huni has had many different forms he's had 
perfect split it, like fanatic form and he's had mm-hmm. phenomenal immortals form and then he's had like these slumps with 100 thieves then going and becoming a world champion with T1 he is so up and down mm-hmm. with his performances and the the inconsistency uh over time even though this meta i think suits his general um play style and champion pool pretty well um that could shift and all of a sudden not be the case and and so that roster i think has a um a lot of potential i think it will be difficult for them to meet that potential though yeah agreed um, I didn't see any other notable North American swaps. The that... only only one would be with uh, which we've already briefly mentioned, but C nine moving Fudge back to the top lane, releasing Summit, bringing Jensen into the mid lane role. Uh, so their roster will be Fudge top, Blabber jungle, Jensen mid, Berserker, um, AD carry or bot lane, and then they are bringing in Sven as their support. Honestly, that is one of the more interesting things that I think you can do with an AD carry player is throw them to the support position. I I believe we have data of this. I can't remember who did it, but yes Corey and jj with his uh on dignitas with kiwi yes, kids support yeah and then he goes to samsung and wins a world championship and then comes on back to na baby <laughs> well i and and this is what i'm getting at i think there's something really strong about taking the knowledge of what you need as an 80 carry player knowing that like inside and out Sven being Sven being a solid player throughout most of his career he's going to know these matchups inside and out and then you can bring that sort of game IQ that game knowledge to a position where now you just have to help facilitate that I think that gives you an understanding of the lane that is unprecedented un, you know unless you talk about someone like Core JJ who has since that role swap some people would argue have transcended the role of support and just make it look so fucking easy sometimes. Well, I mean, support is easy, bro. It is. You just hit them with this and then you hit them with the E and then you yep. lock them up. And Aframo, Aframu, sorry, Aframu is another uh, player who did that. He did the mm-hmm. swap room. He was an 80 carry and he did that swap to support early, much earlier on in League mm-hmm. of Legends history. But he has been a successful support uh, for and an a long time uh, perennial figure in the LCS since that. Yeah. So I, I mean, think that's going to be a strong, strong move. I think so too. It's just going to be interesting with Jensen uh, not having played this past split uh, with Summit or with uh, Fudge having played in the mid lane and shifting back to the top lane. Um, granted, not making MSI and bringing Jensen back in uh, and everything gave them a good amount of time to get practice in. They've been over in Korea practicing and getting uh, time in boot camping and whatnot. So I think that they'll be in decent form, but it, it is really where 
where do those players kind of come back uh, to to those positions and everything? It was a similar question that we had with Pearson before uh, the start of the uh, spring split or the yeah the spring split with LCS. Yep. Like we didn't know if he was going to come back as the same Bjergsen that had had gone to the coaching role and everything. And so it's a uh, it's a curious it's a curious thing, and it'll be exciting to kind of see what happens there and how. Um, TSM, how C9 and all the other rosters kind of uh, play leading into this summer split, which does start in two weeks. So not this weekend, but the following. So not too far in the horizon. And I imagine the first matchup is EG versus 100 Thieves. Uh, So first match is EG versus C9. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Is that who they played in the finals for spring? Uh, it is not. Oh. So, uh, I don't know why they're doing it that way either, because the finals was, um, let's see, finals was uh, 100 Thieves EG, like you said. So... Gotcha. I'm curious how they arrive at that schedule. And I don't even know if in the past they had done it that way. That was just, I think they typically, I think they typically did. That's what Um, I thought too. So they, they play on day two of the, uh, of the first week, EG. Gotcha. So, so, um, they'll get that matchup, but, but yeah, some more sick best of one action coming from North America, baby coming to your, screen soon fucking put it in your eyes dude (laughs) uh but that's about all i've got for league of legends talk we'll we'll definitely Mm -hmm. have more this coming week after the lpl season starts and we just see those initial uh three series kind of happen and and how those shake out um, sure to to kick things off um but i know we've got some magic talk i know you talked a little bit about you and Sarah playing some 60 card. Yeah. Uh, but let's hear about some commander games that you had uh this week as well. Yeah, on Monday we got three uh three Commander Nine games in, so it was super sweet. Um and I'll talk a little bit about that, but the main thing I want to talk about is a little more about the 60 card and uh and a, another deck that I've been working on. So on Monday, it was myself, Jason, Ian, and Brett uh playing some commander. Jason took game one. Um, so in the forever arms race of these commander decks, he had invested in a couple pretty pretty good haymaker type cards, uh like game enders. Uh, for his uh, Phylath, I forget what the guy's name is, Phylath, when he enters the battlefield, you make a bunch of 0-1 plants equal to the amount of lands you control, and then he has a landfall ability that says whatever land enters the battlefield under your control, put four plus one plus one counters on target plant. So the idea is get a bunch of lands into play, cast Phylath, get a bunch of plants, and then grow those plants by playing more lands. He nuked us out on turn six with a massive Crater Hooth Behemoth. He killed Brett and Ian just in like one swing. And then I, you know, drew a land and passed back to him and then died uh, very quickly. Uh, So GG's to Jason there. And then in games two and three, and this is why I talk about that, 
is because in games two and three, I'm pretty sure I won uh, because Jason misplayed a couple of times and like didn't make the optimal play. And we're not like, maybe there's a community that believes in collaborative gameplay, but like we don't help each other at all. Like if we see an optimal play and they don't, we'll be like giving eyes to each other. Like this dumb fucker, he doesn't see it. Um, Damn. So, you're play, you guys are playing to win and it's like, right. And it's, yeah, that, that happens sometimes. Exactly. Um, so it was pretty cool to get a win that way. I played two different decks. I played Arcades in games one and two, got the win in game two. And I played Thraxamundar in game three. I want to talk a little bit about the Thraxamundar deck because it is kind of fun and definitely on the more like flavorful side. Um, it is blue, black, red. It's got a bunch of zombies, and it's got a bunch of the War of the Spark amass cards in it. So the flavor for War of the Spark was Nicol Bolas bringing this army of these eternal zombies to the fucking world, and it's mine now. So the amass mechanic, every time you would amass, you would make this zombie token like bigger and bigger and bigger. The idea of like getting this big army of zombies. So it's a bunch of nickel bolus themed cards, a bunch of like zombie themed cards. So it's super vorthosy, super flavorful. It's not like the best thing ever, but it's got a bunch of zombie tribal stuff and it's it's just fun. So it was cool to get a win with that deck. Um, But yeah, just good games overall love commander nine but what i really want to talk about this week is the the order that i put in for cards now it's something that i don't usually do but because me and sarah have been playing the 60 card decks i was like i would make a little bit of a purchase to smooth some of these lists out where I purchased two copies of Arclight Phoenix for a blue-red deck that she really likes to play. Fill out the playset, make sure there's four of them in there. And then I also got a bunch of pieces for a mono-red Tron list. And now you're saying, but Justin, what does Tron mean? And Aaron, I'll tell you. So Tron is the act of assembling your three Urza lands. So there's the Urza's Tower, Urza's Power Plant, and Urza's Mine. Individually, they only tap for one colorless mana. But together, they form the Tron lands, and they tap for seven mana total. That's a lot of colorless mana. So the whole deck's idea is to get all three Tron lands onto the battlefield, tap for seven, and cast something big. Okay, so I'm sure you have some uh, tutors and things like that in the deck as well to kind of find those lands and all. Expedition map. One colorless, and then two to crack it to go search for a land, put it into your hand. So the act of assembling Tron is usually very easy. It's like having the things to cast with it. So I got a couple of those um, in the order, a couple of the like really low-end pieces to help fix your mana and whatever. But I'm super stoked about those purchases because they're like really just going to like complete these decks, which is going to be amazing. And then I want to go back to we had been talking about uh loro and the swaps that um 
friend of the show, Spoon had helped me with. Finally, along with these cards, put those cards in the order. And I am just like through the roof. I feel I feel like my magic collection is complete now and all is good in the world. Nice. Until the next thing comes out and and <laughs> you've got to find some fun new things. But I will say on that note, I that's like kind of what I'm getting at is like I it my singles binder is empty. It's just lands. I don't have any like other than the cards that I'll be pulling out of Aloro. I already know where most of them are going. So I don't have this like endless list of swaps in my head. I actually feel like I'm at a point now where the next couple of like magic related purchases are kind of planned out and I don't have these like wild ideas rummaging in my head of like, Oh, you know, I have that card and this other card. Now I need to build around these cards. All right. A hundred dollars later, I have built around these cards. It's nothing like that. So like, I'm, I'm very happy because we're previously like, it was that a hundred percent where I would find a card in my collection and just be like, Oh, well, I, I have to, right? Yeah. And then whatever. Um, so yeah, we're uh, we're growing up, dude. We're really growing up. No, that's cool though that you're finding other ways to to get Sarah more involved as well. Though I think that's uh, that's cool because I know you guys have uh, played together at different times in the past, and I think that's a, a cool way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned before, to to kind of just have some fun. It's not as like super competitive or right potentially one-sided as 1v1 commander can be where if someone like there's you have no help if the other person gets their stuff first and you can't fight it then you just kind of lose mm-hmm. like and not like a fun way yeah <laughs> like not, like you just don't get cool. to play the game super super right. much and so uh yeah being able to play find a, a different format that you guys can enjoy a bit more uh together that's a that's very cool. Yeah, it's been awesome. And I'm super looking forward to the two copies of Arclight Phoenix. I've never... That'll be the closest... That and the the Tron deck are the closest that I have to something that would, like, show up at a local game store. Nice. Um, so I'm, like, pleased about those. But, yeah, overall, just, um, just happy that we've kind of been able to connect a little bit in a way that is, like, way more... Um, just banal and like not really competitive at all it's just kind of something to fill the time and talk over or whatever um so that's been pretty cool but yeah that's that's kind of all i really want to say about magic for this week but um if you want to give me your flavor of the week we can get these people out of here sounds good uh so for my flavor of the week uh for my food colleen and i had uh purchased some green curry sauce at trader joe's uh and so i made it into a nice um like green curry chicken recipe with some jasmine rice i used a lot of cumin in my seasoning for the uh for the chicken and everything before grilling that all up and so that turned out really really well um so that was a a a tasty treat um for my music with uh with my week being a little bit uh, kind of rougher. I defaulted back to, uh, some like older music, uh, an older playlist I had made on Spotify that just has a lot of songs that I can sing along to without like 
having to turn my brain on. I can just shut right. it off and let the lyrics kind of go while I'm driving. And so it's a, a playlist of uh, soundtracks for uh, songs that were used on the soundtracks of a number of video games I played when I was uh, a kid. So from NBA Live 2005, NVP Baseball 2005, NHL 06, and Madden 06, uh, all of those games had some banging soundtracks from uh, All American Rejects to Foo Fighters to just a lot of these uh, really really good bands um, that have some some fun songs and so uh, Billy Talent Red Flag was on there which oh, we mentioned classic. before yeah. so nice nice little callback but uh, some some solid music and it was a, a nice way for me to kind of unwind like kind of just sing some songs and, and turn my brain off and everything. Um, and then for my visual medium for this past week, uh, I decided to go with, I, I had an old man moment, which like it occurred to me and I, I think it's kind of funny, but I was watching the IndyCar Detroit Grand Prix mm -hmm. uh, Sunday afternoon on the couch, just watching along, having a blast. And I, passed out like with i don't know 10 laps to go in the race or something like that nice. and i woke up to like cars circling the track on their their like post like finished laps and the interviews and everything i'm like wait what happened Damn, uh, missing the end so i mean it was it was just kind of funny because i i remember uh when i was growing up i would a lot of times watch golf on Sundays with my dad because he loves golf and we would just like hang out and watch it. And he would always just pass out like mid mid afternoon on a Sunday with the, the TV still going and everything. And, uh, I just did the same exact thing. So I, I felt like I had a little bit of a, an old man moment, uh, there. Um, but otherwise the Detroit Grand Prix was, <laughs> it was a fun nice. one to watch. There you go. Um, up until that point, it was, it was, I was enjoying it. Um, so that is my flavor of the week. Uh, but Justin, what have you got for the people? Uh, so I'll start with my visual medium here, a little bit different. So on YouTube, I was recommended a video from a guy. I'm pretty sure I'm going to shout him out because I, I, it was awesome. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure the channel name is Exclusion, and he does videos on, like, Daisy and Rust, maybe. I don't know a lot about him, but the video that I watched, it was 25,000, or what 25,000 hours of Daisy looks like. I'm pretty sure it was, like, an hour and 40-minute long video of him putting this team together, the, the setup, the plan, the idea, and then all of the things that happened in the server and his pro the production value of the video the storytelling the narration the like the actual what happened on the server it was very intense to the degree that towards the end of it when it was all like coming together the final sequence that he does it's like the turn of a movie he really really goes to this level where once you get to the end and he's laying things out, he asks the question of the audience and then 
throws the sequence you just watched, he throws it in reverse in a way that's like, oh shit, he's going to show us something else. And like, there is a movie level twist at the end of this DayZ server. It's a fucking video game. My man made the most compelling thing I've seen in a long time just with three other guys, a Discord server, and some, like, film players. It was amazing. If you have the time, go check it out. What 25,000 hours of Daisy looks like. It was... uh, I've never seen anything like it, I'll just say that. Which is 1,042 days. That's a long time. It was a lot. It it was the cumulative amount of four different players. Still, that's Still. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it showed they're like they're the the level to which they played the game. It was like whoa. Very cool. Yeah. Very very cool. So check that out. That's my visual media. My food and my music go together. Um. So this weekend, me and Sarah were at her parents. Uh. Shout out to Tim. He made some great crabs. Um. And it's it, you know it's just a it's just a couple hour affair. Just picking apart dead things and eating the meat that's inside. It's amazing. It. Um. But then the next day on Sunday, we spent about an hour and twenty minutes or so. We listened to Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. It was the first time uh her listening to it and it was the first time me listening to it like with somebody um Mm -hmm. so it was a different listen through like to see her reaction and by this point i've listened to it a bunch so i know some of the lyrics as well um so that was very fun picking through crabs and listening to kendrick lamar so that is my music and my food combined uh because we were picking the crabs so she could turn it into a excuse me a corn chowder that was amazing sounds so good yeah it was great but that's my flavor of the week here for this week awesome uh well that does bring us again to the end of our episode wrapping things up here um of course find us on spotify check us out on google Podcasts. check us out on youtube hit us up on twitter let us know what your flavor of the week is um as always thank you all for listening we really really appreciate uh everyone who takes some time to uh to join us for these podcasts and all uh, we love to to do it. So um, that is all I have. Yeah, I just want to follow up on Aaron and say thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much for taking your time. Um, if you want to get involved, come and join the Discord. Links are in the link tree below. New episodes every Thursday. Um, tell us what you think on Twitter. What was your flavor of the week? What is your rose thorn and seed? Thank you everyone for listening. This is another episode of the tall and short of a podcast. Peace out. Later.